This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The U.S. Supreme Court's ruling on Roe v. Wade has set off a spate of controversy over whether access to abortion will be severely limited or outright banned in many states. And as their closest neighbor, the issue has spilled over into Canada. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post columnist Sabrina Maddow joins me to discuss why the fallout from the Roe decision could have ramifications for Canadian women who work, study, and travel in the U.S., and why some feel the federal government should pass legislation to protect access here. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Sabrina, first off, because I feel it's an important piece of the discussion here, what did the U.S. Supreme Court effectively do with their ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade? They effectively returned the decision back to the states. And as we know, many states have already passed or plan to pass laws that will effectively ban abortion. I believe the statistic is that 26 states, which is more than half of the country, are either certain or likely to ban abortion within the coming weeks. There were some that had bans all ready to go and, and some that had pieces of legislation that still had to be passed. So we, we could see this as early in a few weeks in some states, but it could take more time in other states before the practice is outlawed. Do we know if any of those bans are going to face any challenges or has Roe effectively killed any possibility of a constitutional challenge in these cases? For now, it's effectively killed that possibility. Now, what the Democrats could do is they could seek to codify Roe into essentially law on the federal level. And then on the other hand, you have Republicans who are promising if they gain back the House in November that they will do the opposite and codify into law that abortion is illegal to at least some extent across the United States. Mm -hmm. So it will no longer matter in that situation, whether you're a red state or a blue state, this would be a federal law. Yeah. Now, this may be a rhetorical question and maybe there isn't a good answer out there, but I find it strange in this debate because we're talking about something that a majority of Americans actually support in most, if not all cases. I know that the percentages change, people support women's right to choose on the, on the Democrat side, you know, well over the Republican side, but on par, a majority of Americans support a women's right to choose in some, if not all cases. And yet we have the courts and we have Republican politicians trying to outlaw the practice. <laughs> Why, if there's a majority of support for a women's right to choose, that these politicians feel that this is something that they need to address or, or that they need to go against the will of the people? This has been a rallying issue for the Republican Party for decades. I and mean, they've been working towards consistently stacking the Supreme Court in their favor on this issue to get Roe v. Wade overturned. 
And part of this effort is led by the fact there are a lot of one-issue voters in the states who will simply put their votes to whatever party, which is the Republican Party in this case, promises to try to ban abortion. It's great for fundraising. There are a lot of lobbying groups behind it. So that's really the focus. While there's a minority of people who actually feel abortion should be outlawed, they exercise outsized power because of their willingness to vote along that one issue and also their willingness to provide funding and really loud support of candidates who uh, will voice their concerns. I don't want to spend too much time talking about the issue in America, especially because there's been a lot of talk since about what this means for Canada. And I've seen various debates on social media around this decision with some people saying it's only a matter of time before a ban happens here. And some saying it has no bearing on Canadian women because no government really wants to touch it here. Conservative governments at the federal level have said, no, we're not going to do anything about it. And even conservative politicians at the provincial level say they have no intention of touching the issue or changing access. You know, it's really seen as the third rail here in Canada. But I do want to deal with that second issue first, because you pointed out some very serious concerns that many people may not have thought of when it comes to this ruling in the United States and its effect on Canada. And I think, you know, we can go through it a little bit step by step. We are talking about our closest neighbor, our largest trading partner, and at a place where Canadians love to go visit. And from your perspective, how should that make Canadians and Canadian women in particular worried. Yeah, there will be almost immediate things to worry about for Canadian women, uh, particularly of childbearing age, because like you said, we are so deeply ingrained with the U.S., whether it's from a work perspective or a personal perspective or just a travel perspective. And the problem is when more than half the country are certain or likely to ban or nearly ban abortion, that can have impacts on any Canadian woman who are traveling to the States, either because they have to for work or for major life events like weddings or funerals, or even just for leisure. For a pregnant woman, there's the risk that something goes wrong that endangers her health and she could be refused a life-saving abortion. She could face delays due to legal concerns or capacity issues, even if she's in a blue state, because there's expected to be a lot of excess demand coming from states that do ban abortion, that's expected to overwhelm the states that don't. Mm -hmm. So access and capacity could be a very real concern in the near future. And the concern for all women, even if they don't know they're pregnant, is miscarriages. We've already seen a willingness in the states to prosecute women for miscarriages, and there's a concern that could be even more common going forward. So you can maybe not even know you're pregnant and have a miscarriage. And especially with data, whether it's period tracking apps or searches on your phone that could be used against you, uh, there's a potential for prosecution. And that's scary as well. It is one of those things that I think for a lot of people, it may be hard to wrap their minds around this concept, but there's a, a recent real world example to this. It was, a, I believe it was an American woman in Malta who was pregnant and had a detached placenta and actually had to get airlifted out of Malta where she was because of that country's strict abortion laws. And right. She was able to get access in another country. 
yeah, she was hemorrhaging, suffered massive blood loss. The pregnancy had become unviable, meaning this child was not going to be born alive, but it still had a heartbeat. And due to Malta's very restrictive abortion laws, they would not terminate the pregnancy to save her life. Uh, so she had to be airlifted to Spain. There's been uh, similar situations in Malta in the past. And while the number of pregnant Canadian women who travel to Malta every year is probably pretty small, the number of pregnant women who travel to the States every year is much larger. And this is something they should absolutely be aware of because it's a life-threatening danger. On the flip side of that, like vacations are, are typically a shorter period of time. The chance of something happening to a pregnant woman while she's traveling that could require a, a life-saving abortion, I, I imagine, isn't that high. But then you look at you mentioned work, you mentioned school, you know, there are Canadian women who go to U.S. colleges, spend years there, get a career there, or even, you know, work there for long periods of time. Do we know, like, are companies preparing for that or, or you know, Canadian companies who have offices in the United States, do we know if, if they're raising concerns or trying to publicize their policy on those sorts of issues? I know that in the States, American companies have stepped up to talk about how they might help employees travel or still access reproductive health care and abortions. I haven't personally seen any Canadian companies address it yet. And I think there's just kind of this delayed onset of realizing how this could impact women. And like you said, especially women who either have to travel frequently for work or might be on a six-month stint there, or even students who go into the States. And I, I just want to, because I have run into this argument a lot online that, oh, the chances of traveling to the States and having something go wrong with your pregnancy to the extent that it needs an abortion, like what are the chances of that? Mm -hmm. But it's kind of funny when you put that into context of how we look at pregnancy risks everywhere else. I mean, I see this from my friends when they get pregnant, their doctors, everyone tells them, oh, don't eat sushi, don't have half a glass of wine, even though that's common in Europe. Don't do this, don't do that. Like even on the most minuscule of risks when it comes to pregnancy, we tend to take those very seriously. I'd say sometimes too seriously as a society. But when it comes to the abortion issue and the risks of traveling to the States, a lot of people are willing to just shrug and write that off. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Looking at the challenges of getting access to abortion services in neighboring states in the event of a pregnancy, you, you mentioned that, you know, when Texas passed its six-week abortion ban last year, that there was overwhelming uptick in neighboring states, something like between 800 and 2,500%. And that's just for people from the states. And then looking at Canada, there's a concern that, you know, any northern states that ban abortion, you could see people flooding into Canada and services here in Canada, as the debate has come up since the Roe decision, that there's a lack of access for many Canadian women. And so we could see an uptick in American women coming up here. Is, is that a concern as well? 
Absolutely. In fact, the court's dissent kind of laid that out in that they were talking about the possibility if the Republicans retake Congress and there's going to be a federal ban, they said the challenge for a woman will be if not to finance a trip to New York or California, but to Toronto. So if we end up in a situation where there's suddenly the surge of demand from across the border, our system is not ready for that. We can barely provide reproductive health care or abortion access to women in Canada, especially if they're outside of major urban centers. It's so dismal that the UN has actually called out Canada for its lack of abortion access and for its unsustainable wait lists. So we're not in a position to take on any extra capacity. And if that happens, we could see a situation where, sure, Abortion is decriminalized in Canada, and technically you can access it, but can you access it in reality in a timely manner? That's much less certain. Now, one of the other kind of frightening prospects out of the Roe decision is that we have a concurring decision written by Justice Clarence Thomas, who's talked about how this could, you know, we need to look at other matters of law that are presumably settled specifically relating to gay marriage and contraception. And the the contraception issue, obviously, I I think goes hand in hand with the Roe decision because we are talking about women's access to healthcare. So we have states who could potentially, should the Supreme Court decide to go there, start to make rulings around access to contraception, which could be problematic for Canadian women who are traveling or, or working with a Canadian prescription and be in the States. What's the concern there? Yeah, it's a huge concern. This is the first time a constitutional right's been taken away by the court. And with this decision, there are tie-ins to previous decisions, whether it's uh, gay marriage or contraception. And a lot of the same forces and more extreme religious groups that have advocated for banning abortion also feel very strongly about contraception. So it's not that far-fetched that the Republican Party and those forces could then move on to this issue. And the consequences of that for Canadian women are also very real. Um, A lot of women of childbearing age are, for example, on the birth control pill, which you can't just stop without it losing effectiveness or suffering in some cases, some pretty nasty side effects. So if you have to travel to the States in this situation for work or any reason, can you take your birth control pills? Will packing them in a bag be the same way as packing another illegal drug? That's very frightening as well. Mm -hmm. And for women also who might go to study there, can they use contraception while they're in university in one of these states? There are a lot of potential consequences. What about for those who may say, well... Dave and Sabrina, why can't these women just stay in Canada, work in Canada, go to school in Canada? There's lots of great colleges here, lots of great jobs here. Why can't they just stay home and then they don't have to worry about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that's a little bit naive and unrealistic. Uh, the U.S. is our largest trading partner. A lot of companies who Canadians work for, even though their jobs may be mostly based here, they are U.S. headquartered. So in order to do their jobs, to put them in on a track to promotion, to secure new business if they're self-employed or they're entrepreneurs, it really is a necessity to go to the States in a lot of these cases. As for the educational side, Anyone who wants a career in athletics essentially has to go to the NCAA system and study in the States. A lot of our doctors and nurses actually receive education in the States, and we know how important that is with our diminished healthcare capacity to continue to provide them access to those opportunities. Um, Also in the postdoc and graduate system, there are simply 
by nature of there being so many more institutions and so much more um, potential funding in the states, the ability for postdoc students to do research and receive grants, there's so many more opportunities in the states that they simply can't get access to in Canada. So um, the U.S. educational system really does supplement ours in many ways. And to just say, oh, stay home, be denied these opportunities, especially when you're talking about this through a gendered lens, those opportunities won't be denied to everyone. They Mm -hmm. will be denied to women or it's women who will have to turn them down out of potential fear. That's a major issue. Obviously, a decision like this, it's one of those terms that when you look at American politics from a Canadian lens, like there, there are things that Canadians really kind of grasp when it comes to American politics. And Roe v. Wade was one of those landmark decisions. It's something that many Canadians were following closely. So naturally, it's brought up a lot of concerns about access to abortion in Canada and whether we could see governments here try and ban the practice or try and implement a law that could limit access. There's concern that provincial governments could restrict funding or could restrict access. How big a concern is that in Canada, do you figure? I mean, we looked at that Stephen Harper's time as as prime minister, and he was true to his word. He said, we're not going to legislate on it. I'm not going to go anywhere near it as a government. What's the level of concern that another conservative government at the federal or provincial level could restrict access? I don't think there's a major risk in the foreseeable future of access being restricted in terms of passing a law, in terms of criminalizing abortion, because the mainstream in Canada largely doesn't have an appetite for that. And I don't see that being a near-term thing. But the problem is abortion access is essentially already restricted in Canada by the virtue of it being underfunded, of being very sparse. Uh, Women outside of major cities often have to travel two, three, four hours, even hop on flights to access reproductive health care. We allow hospitals that are affiliated with the religious groups to not provide abortions. And there are long, long wait lists in some cases. So that's the risk that we will have politicians who either won't follow through on plans to increase funding. um, And the Trudeau administration is also guilty of this. They've promised more funding, more access, and they often have not followed through on it. Mm -hmm. Or you could have a government come in that pulls funding or doesn't put pressure on provinces who are pulling funding or not providing access. And we've seen that as an issue recently with New Brunswick as well. The most important thing I think a politician who is pro-choice can do is not try to put a specific law into place that legalizes abortion, because right now in Canada, it's treated as any other medical procedure under the Canada Health Care Act. So the same way that we wouldn't have a law that legalizes brain surgery, for example, we don't want to get into a place where we're putting in laws that legalize abortion, because that puts it up for debate and those laws could be repealed and there's a whole host of consequences. But we should strengthen the Canada Health Act and specifically the consequences for provinces who don't meet the standards of providing access to reproductive health care under the Canada Health Act. There appears to be a debate among the pro-choice movement in Canada, at least what I've seen in the the last couple of weeks, this idea that there are people who say, well, you know, look at what's happening in the States. We need a law in Canada to enshrine access to abortion, to protect access to abortion in Canada. There are others who have said exactly as you just did, that 
if the government does bring in a law, it just means that someone else can repeal that law later. That's not where the movement should be in Canada. Why do you suppose there are some people who feel that we need a law to protect it? I think that it's a reaction to what we're seeing in the states who are dealing with a different situation in terms of legality. And there's the idea that, oh, if there's a law, we're more protected. But that's just not the case. It would open the door to actually the potential for rights to be rolled back. And um, essentially any pro-choice organization or experts in Canada do not advocate actually instituting a law. What they advocate for is strengthening enforcement of the Canada Health Act or perhaps tying more funding under federal health transfers to specifically being used on reproductive care or abortion access. So we need more access in hospitals and it's important to focus on setting that up because those will be harder to tear down than a law that can be simply repealed by whoever wins the next election. Well, it is a, I know, fascinating and at times contentious discussion. Sabrina, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for having me. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Sabrina Maddow. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.